Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. Uh, My guest today is Oliver Moma. He's the founder of a company called Exter, E-K-S-T-E-R.com. He was kind enough to send a couple of his smart wallets for me to check out and evaluate. And my, My son grabbed one immediately and thinks it's so cool and Within 20 minutes, told me about the RFID blocking and, and all the features of it. So he was uh, he was right on it. So thank you, Oliver, and uh, welcome to the call. Thank you so much for having me, uh, Richard. Excited to chat. Well, tell me a little bit about your journey. How did you become an entrepreneur and start this company? And then we'll get into what Extra is today. Definitely, yeah. So I'm from Amsterdam. I was born in the city of Amsterdam, and then we moved abroad quite quickly. So I spent my entire younger years moving from country to country every five years. So we we lived in Japan for eight. We lived in uh, Milan for five, Barcelona for a few years, and ended up in Hong Kong actually during my studies. And while I was doing an internship in Hong Kong, I noticed that people were paying with their phones back in 2015 on like QR codes at the market. And I'd never seen this before. This was like completely new to me. And back in Holland, people were still carrying fat bifold wallets. And I remember in the States, people were carrying so many cards and so much cash and even checks sometimes. So I wondered why why is Asia so far ahead of the rest of the world? And why are people still carrying such fat bifold wallets? So from there, it sparked an idea to create the next generation wallet. So I partnered up with Rick and Richard, and we started designing what we thought would be the next generation wallet. And the first question that really came up is like, what is the biggest problem with wallets these days? And the answer we got from most people we surveyed was the fact that you lose it. So we designed the very first trackable wallet and put it on Kickstarter and it went it went viral after the first campaign. And that's where everything started. Okay. Yeah. These uh, bifold wallets, I remember my dad always putting more and more papers into it. So it got so monstrously fat, he couldn't even fold it. Yeah. You know, when people used to put it in their, in their back pocket, it would really mess up them, you know, their spine sitting like that. So what were some of the elements that you wanted to change with this new design? You know, you said about tracking it, you know, just if you can tell me a few of the features of it that were deliberately designed yeah. in to make it different and new. Yeah. So tracking was the thing that probably grabbed most attention at the time, but the core of the product was giving you easy access to your cards. So the big issue with leather wallets and just any everyday carry product is that it's super hard to get your cards out. It's You're always fumbling to find the right one. And we wanted to have a system, something that was our own, that really allows you to click your cards out in one movement and to give you like an easy oversight of what all the cards are. And so we designed a mechanism where with one click of a button, it shoots out your six most frequently used cards and it allows you to grab the right one because you can see each corner of the card. On top of that, next to easy access to wallet, it had to be slim, obviously, because we wanted to move away from those monstrously fat wallets. And it also needed to offer some kind of protection for your cards because skimming is a big issue these days. So 
We added an RFID blocking layer, which makes sure that your identity can't be skimmed and that no one can skim your cards for any information. And, you know, that security factor is actually a huge one as well in the initial pitch of the product. So um, I would say those are the main ones next to the style and the design. Yeah, that's a really cool set of concepts. So when you first launched it, what was some of the early feedback on the wallet? And you said it, it's a, it did really well, I guess, in its first campaign. So instead of just a few numbers around that, well, maybe how many wallets sold in the first campaign? And then what was some of the early feedback that caused you guys to iterate and improve it further? Definitely. So we, we sold about 5,000 in the first campaign, 5,000 units. And after that, we just continued crowdfunding for the rest of the year. And I believe we sold about ten to 15,000 in the first year, which brought us to $1 million in revenue, which was super exciting to hit that number, that milestone in your first year. And I remember that the main feedback was really about like the overall size of the product. And we sold it as a super ultra slim wallet, but because we had integrated the tracker into the wallet, the wallet wasn't that slim anymore. So we decided that, okay, maybe there's people out there that want this product without tracking. They just want the slimmest version of this wallet. So we decided to pull that apart and sell the tracker as a separate tracker card. And this really skyrocketed the company actually, because we, we were now upselling products, upselling trackers on top of wallets, and the wallet itself was already selling really well. So it helped really kind of target the right people, the right products. Yeah, that's amazing. First year to do uh, that many units. That's really cool. So what again, what commentary have you gotten and reviewed about the various features? Like what what do people say about the RFID versus the tracking versus the card that's being, it's not like a switchblade, but I guess it kind of is. You push the button and the yeah. card goes shoop and pops out a little bit, ready for you to grab it. And you can yeah. stuff it back in. But what, yeah, what kind of comments did you get on all these features? Yeah, so the main thing, like I said, was people were just, not everyone wanted the tracker integrated. So a lot of people wanted it without the tracker. So that was the main comment we got. Besides that, honestly, the feedback on this card mechanism was incredible. The, the The most common review we got was, I was paying with this wallet at the cashier and the cashier was just mind blown. They asked me where I got this wallet. So because it's such a wild factor, when you click that button and the cards pop up, people are always like impressed. Like, you know, what is this? It looks a little little magical. So, so people were super stoked about, about that card access mechanism. And I think in terms of just, yeah, more critical feedback. We just really wanted to make it a bit more durable, sturdy, and and also offer more colors. So we got a lot of great feedback from the Kickstarter community on, on new colors and new designs. And as I mentioned offline, you know, for the I Survived Business Podcast, we all we also want to learn. I mean, no one wants to talk about it, but we do want to hear about the hardships that you overcame because I think it'll be very useful and instructive for other entrepreneurs. So if you don't mind sharing, what was some of the difficulties you had in launching this and responding to demand, etc.? Definitely. So I I would say maybe let's start at, at crowdfunding because that's usually those facts and those tips are usually very useful for people that are starting out. I remember we, we kicked off our, our first Kickstarter campaign and the first day was incredible because we had so many friends and family that backed the campaign and this helped us you know, push into our or hit our goal in the first 24 hours. And that's one of the main goals you need to set for yourself when you go on Kickstarter is you need to hit that. You need to hit your target within the first day because that's going to propel you onto the popular page because the Kickstarter algorithm. But we noticed that after this first boost, we kind of stagnated a little. And I think we were at about like 25K in funding and that already was quite impressive for us. But we knew that we needed way more 
set this, you know, to buy tooling and to get this company off the ground. So we realized, okay, there's, we need to grow the heck out of this campaign. We need to, we need to try whatever we can to get more eyeballs on our campaign. So a few good tips there are reach out to larger Kickstarter campaigns. Tell them you're starting out and you'd love to hop on a call for some tips. Most cases on Kickstarter, people are very open to chat because they're all entrepreneurs and they're all starting out and they're not that arrogant. So we learned most of our insider tips by just chatting to live Kickstarter campaigns and talking to to the founders and even benchmarking their whole campaign, like looking at the structure. If you take the top five most funded campaigns, you put them next to each other, the structure of each campaign looks very similar. So they're all doing things quite the same, which taught us a lot on how to structure our campaign. This reaching out to these different campaigns also allows you to build a connection and do cross promotions. So we featured all these campaigns in our updates and they would feature us in theirs, which gives you more eyeballs on the campaign as well. On top of that, we partnered up with a Facebook ads agency called Jellup for our first campaign. And as soon as we partnered up with them, our whole campaign just blew up. They have a, a huge network of Kickstarter campaigns in their database. So they're able to target people that are already interested in Kickstarter products and they have quite a long history with Kickstarter campaign marketing. So they know how to target the right people at the right time with urgency. So yeah, there's there's definitely a lot of interesting nuggets for Kickstarter. We can we could dive into that more later. Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to twenty seven hundred plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit findinggeniuspodcast.com and click on support us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click support Sounds us today. like you have now, lists of people that have bought from one or more Kickstarter campaigns. They're more likely to buy again from another one. I guess yeah. these, you know, companies like this can share those big lists and, and help. I guess, you know, yeah, I guess you do a successful campaign. You say to people, hey, if you'd like to join our list, we'll let you know about upcoming other campaigns you might be interested in. And you create a network of, of interested folks, I guess, right? Definitely, yeah. Makes sense. That really helped us at the beginning. Yeah, so I, I would say right after that, the the biggest struggle we ran into was was definitely the supply chain. So just ops, fulfilling your products, making sure you're in stock in all at all your warehouses. And we thought, okay, now we sold on Kickstarter, so we've sold to you know over fifty countries. We might as well make our products av- available in multiple uh, multiple areas of the world. So you know, open up multiple third-party fulfillment uh, centers. That was probably the biggest mistake we ever made, splitting up our stock across like five warehouses because we didn't have the know-how to forecast for so many warehouses and we didn't even have the funds to to buy that much stock and split it across that many warehouses. So I guess getting too ambitious and wanting to serve the whole world is something that I would always advise you not to do. And I would say start by growing in one market, we picked the US because most of our customers were there and focus on that and become really great at that and then slowly start adding 
or warehouses because it's gonna it's just gonna save you so much money and and so much yeah just a, it's a huge headache mm, let's see what you need oh what about amazon did you are they i don't even know are they on amazon did you not want to go there what was the dynamic with that with them yes we did get on amazon quite quickly because on on one hand it's i would say incremental it's actually a channel that where you can advertise and you can find customers that you would not find otherwise on on your other marketing channels and on the other hand it's also great for customers that do find your website but just don't trust your website or just feel more comfortable ordering on Amazon there's a lot of people that are just so used to ordering on Amazon with with Prime that they just don't really order anywhere else anymore and so this really just takes away that that obstacle for them to order. So I would say Amazon is is definitely a must. It's it's a huge chunk of our, our yearly revenue at the moment. It took a while to build up and you need some experience to really manage the platform, but there's great agencies that I can recommend. Was there uh, any downside to Amazon? Like was it a, some people say it's a deal with the devil. Uh, it's tricky. You know, if you're able to say, what were some of the, the difficulties with Amazon? Did people try to knock off your product or like what happened? Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of downside. So in our early days, our products weren't as foolproof as they are now. So I would say there there were more defects back then than we have now. And if you have, you know, a certain percentage of defects, Amazon's probably the worst place as a brand to be selling because the customer is king. And even if they leave a review that's that's a complete lie, the review will stay there and the brand really can't do much about it. So you need to treat the customer, you know, like the the absolute king and the brand in the end is always getting the short end of the stick. So I would say make sure your products are completely tested and foolproof and you've sold a few thousand so you know that the initial defects are out so you can start building a, a strong listing. Because we, we really found that at the beginning we just got screwed over by so many people with either fake reviews or just leaving reviews that didn't make sense and that stalled our Amazon growth first. But the copycats is also an issue, but I would say that happens either way, whether you're on Amazon or not. How did you deal with the uh, the unfair reviews? What can you do to counteract it? Just get more good ones? That's pretty much the only way. Like You can try to fight them, and I would say 90, 90% of the time, nothing gets resolved. So the brand is just the one that's dealing with it. But in very rare cases, Amazon does help out and, and remove them. But I would say that the customer always wins on Amazon. So you just got to get as many five-star reviews as you can. Um, what hap- Are you able to respond to bad reviews? Or like, you know, what can you do? Did, did customers ever ask you, uh, oh, this review says uh, you know, your wallet killed 46 people or whatever it is. You know, what do you do about bottles if customers say something to you? Or maybe that's a blessing because then at least you get response. Yeah. So preferably you'd have them leave it as a question so you can respond to them. But if like in many cases, when you do respond to them, they don't write back. They really just want to leave this review and they just don't want to discuss it. They don't want to discuss it. They just want their money back. So I guess the, the only thing you really can do is reach out to them and then reach out to Amazon if you think the review is unfair and then hope for the best. Okay, understood. So did this spawn other products that you make or are making or like how much more work is there to be done on the wallet to perfect it and to perfect the distribution? And or is that never ending? Like where, where are things headed now? So we we started out with trackable wallets that then evolved to a whole range of slim, futuristic wallets. And now we're actually about to release the next generation of our of our wallets next year, where it's like a complete revamp of everything we've made with all the feedback from our customers 
brought into it over the past few years. So it's that's going to be a huge launch. It's, it's like our, our 2.0 collection. But on top of that, we are also venturing into the travel and gear industry. So we released our first backpack in August and we're releasing a bunch of bigger products in 2024, which is super exciting. We have a huge, you know, we have a huge customer base, like a big community. So people are just, they want more extra gear and we want to expand to offer them that. You know, however, two things come to mind. One is for people that have arthritis or they lack dexterity in their fingers. Is there a way that you could create a wallet specifically targeted those kind of people that just, you know, they, maybe they're, they're either clumsy or again, they lack the dexterity or they have a medical condition with it. It's very hard to get the cards out. That's one thing that came to mind. I just wanted to see what you thought about that. That's actually a huge coincidence that you, you mentioned this because a few weeks back, we got an email from a customer who has Parkinson's and he said that he tried multiple wallets on the market and didn't have any luck because it was so hard to like pick the right card out of each wallet. And he tried our wallet and he was so excited about it because it was such an easy mechanism to click. And so it didn't require much power to get his cards out. So this guy was like sending us this huge love letter and we printed it out and we hung it up here because it's just such a sweet message to receive. And yeah, I mean, obviously those are the, the best kinds of reviews you can get. But yeah, apparently this wallet is already great for people that don't have much power in their fingers. And then, you know, today we tap everything. Is there a way you could have a shield? Maybe you could use the RFID shield or do like a carousel type action where you flick or something. So the card that you want to tap is exposed, but the other ones don't, you know, like give their information to the tapping mechanism. Is yeah. Yeah. They can have a card come out, but isolate it so it can be tapped yeah. and go back in. Yeah, yeah. I love these ideas. You, we, These are all things that have popped up actually in our brainstorms. And we we always tinker and we try around, like we play around with, with sampling. This specific one, we tried out, but it would require the wallet to be almost twice as thick because each card would need its own lever, its own housing. And we played around with this, but it was, uh, you're kind of going to lose the slimness. So, but yeah, this is something that we do think about and we, we brainstorm about that. So I, I love the fact that you, you mentioned it. Yeah, it's just, just what came to mind. I guess last thing that I thought of, and this is it, no more ideas. Is there a way to create a mini vault where let's say your driver's license, let's say um, you know, I want to be able to show it through like a clear panel, but I don't want it to be able to come out of the wallet very easily unless I unlock it somehow. I want it to be like literally locked into the wallet. And with the tracking, yeah. I guess that would feel safer. So is there any way or need or desire to do something like that. Yeah, we have had that request a few times from customers because in the States, yeah, people have wallets with like a little clear pocket for their driver's license. We are actually looking into this now. So you might see something come out soon. We're actually playing around with, with the idea at the moment. So nice one. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. So All right. So the other products now you have, you said a, a backpack, like the newer products are they out yet? Were they coming soon? And, and let's just recap yeah. what they are as well. Yeah, so we have a backpack. It was built for on and off the grid. So it's a super sturdy and waterproof recycled backpack, which you can use to commute from home to work. But the same day, you could also take it into the desert and use it as an outdoors backpack. It has a bunch of super cool features, amongst which a modular camera cube and a modular tech case, which you can take out and attach to the bag, as well as a laptop power bank. So you can keep your laptop charged for another day. I personally use that a lot when I'm traveling because it's, it's a great power bank to just charge all your devices at once. Uh, so yeah, here again, we're including all the tech in these products and we want to make sure that every single bag that we bring out has some kind of innovative tech feature. So yeah, in the new year, there's a few more models 
of backpacks coming out. I can't say too much about the design, but we're going to really expand on our backpack collection. And uh, and we're also going to be releasing our first travel gear collection. So uh, luggage will be coming in the next year as well. Okay. And I love the fact that you asked other Kickstarter creators, you know, what to do. And, you know, you're not one of those people that's like, uh-uh, all these ideas are fantastic. I'm just in my ivory tower you know, making them and everyone's going to love them. You, you ask and you get feedback, which really, I can see shapes what you do. That's fantastic. You know, it's a, it's a yeah. great thing. No, that's okay. We, we've been big fans of that since day one. We've always benchmarked because we knew that we hadn't done it before. We didn't want to reinvent the wheel. And we also just shared our ideas with other people to see what they thought. And that has brought us so much interesting information over the years. So, yeah. Uh, last question What does Exter mean? Why'd you call the company that? Exter stands for Magpie. It's a Dutch word for magpie, and magpies are known for taking valuables and taking them back to their nest and protecting them. So the idea behind the brand was to protect your valuables through tracking and RFID protection. And we also wanted to just have a cool Dutch word to represent where we come from. Okay, very nice. Well, Oliver, it's been a great call. Uh, so people can go to exter.com, E-K-S-T-E-R.com. Then go to Amazon. Where else do you want to send them? Or are those two places good? Yeah, I would say our, our Instagram is definitely a, a huge spot where our community gets together. So that's our handle is extra wallets. Okay. Very good. Instagram as well. All right. Excellent. Well, Oliver, thank you so much for coming on the call. And it's going to be really cool to see what you guys come up with next. So thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it, Richard. Thanks for having me. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.